This is episode 166 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled News About the COVID-19 Vaccine and Arcturus Therapeutics. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm really delighted to welcome back some San Diego biotech people. Uh, today. And actually, these people are returnees. They were on the show back in April and have some updates for us. Uh, So Joe Payne is with us from Arcturus Therapeutics, and we might also hear from his head of IR. I'll introduce Joe. I have a quick bio for him. He's the president and CEO of Arcturus Therapeutics. He served on Arcturus's board since March of 2013, and he brings with him an exceptional track record of ushering novel therapeutics to the clinic, including targeted RNA medicines utilizing lipid-mediated delivery technologies. Joe's background includes over 20 years of successful drug discovery experience at Merck, DuPont, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Calypsis, as evidenced by over 40 publications and patents and several investigational new drug IND clinical candidates. His academic training includes a bachelor's in chemistry, magna cum laude, from Brigham Young, a Master of Science in Synthetic Organic Chemistry from the University of Calgary, an Executive Training Certification from MIT Sloan School of Management. So welcome back, Joe. Hey, thank you, Jennifer. It's good to be with you. You were here in April right after you had signed a big agreement with the Singapore partner. And thank you so much for the time that you took back then. It was the early days of the pandemic. And we were all so appreciative of just your good explaining about how vaccines work and RNA and all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate you coming back again to to clarify things for us. Sure. At that time, you'd also done a big oversold financing and you had a phase one study underway with your RNA vaccine, as I recall. And so bring us up to date. What's happening now? Sure. So we've, uh, since we last talked, we also um, assigned a binding term sheet with respect to supplying the country of Israel uh, with with the Arcturus vaccine to help assist them in their vaccination strategy of that country. So that was a recent development. We uh, we got additional support from from Wall Street in a very successful fundraising round of uh, where we brought in. More approximately $200 million. Yeah. Wow. That's just awesome. Yeah. It's very, you know, it was well oversubscribed and, and uh, considerable interest in, in, in our vaccine and, and what the potential it has to make an impact in this pandemic, but not only in this pandemic, but beyond that in the endemic phase of, you know, of this uh, uh, COVID-19 process. What does that mean? So, so, well, the pandemic is, is what we're in now. I think everyone understands that it's across 
the globe, hence the word pan pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then, but even after that wave goes by, it, it's still all around the globe, but it's controlled. Okay. Uh, very similar to what you experienced with the flu. Okay. So uh, it's not eradicated. It's still here. We have to live with it. So that's, that's what I mean by endemic phase. Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. Uh, so let's go back to the Israeli Ministry of Health agreement. And so that's for your vaccine candidate, just for our listeners here to make sure they understand, for your vaccine candidate called lunar COVID-19. Is that right? Yeah, lunar COV-19 or lunar COVID-19. Yes. And, and it's also known as uh, ARCT-021. Oh, I think that's what we were calling it in April. Yeah. Yeah, depending on which which audience you're talking to in the context, but it's the Arcturus is a self-replicating mRNA vaccine. And what brought about the relationship with Israel? Well, a, a couple months ago, I reached out to someone I uh, trust and respect in, in Israel, and he introduced us to the Israeli Ministry of Health, and that introductory process went smoothly. And then there began... Uh, I guess, a, an investigative vetting or diligence process with the scientific team at mm -hmm. the Israeli Ministry of Health and also the finance team. So it was two separate groups. The science team was the PhDs, the MDs, the professors. They evaluated our science, the self-replicating mRNA technology or our, our uh, delivery technology that we call Lunar, our manufacturing capabilities. And they came to the conclusion after that diligence process to, to select us as one of their uh, partners to help vaccinate their country. When we talked with the finance uh, folks, they came to the same conclusion. But what was interesting is there was different reasons for each group why they selected our tourists. The, sure. the scientific uh, diligence team, uh, they were attracted to the low dose mm -hmm. of the Arcturus vaccine because if you're injecting less vaccine, then there's less likelihood for injection site reactions, okay. uh, less incidence of these. So as my nephew calls it, owies in the arm. <laughs> Great. Yes, that, that we can understand. <laughs> so there's less owies. Um, and, and that's an important thing to some of the MDs. Uh, but also the, the, with respect to the self-replicating mRNA concept that increases the durability or the duration of the vaccine, both from an antibody perspective and also from a cellular immunity perspective. So whether you're creating antibodies or you're inducing or increasing the, the amount of these T cells, both these combined increases the duration. How long does this vaccine last? That's what, you know, that's what they uh, were attracted to as well. So it wasn't just the low dose in decreasing the incidence of injection site reactions, but they were also attracted to the durability of the vaccine. Now, when we went to the, the finance group, they selected us for completely different reasons. They, they, they view our vaccine as saving their taxpayers a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that is if we're a potential single administration vaccine, and you can imagine the costs associated with hurting cats, let alone humans, a second time for a second administration, right. the, the, the logistical challenges and costs with mass va vaccinating twice mm -hmm. is extraordinary. And even though our vaccine has the higher price point, 
it, we're actually saving countries and taxpayers uh, potentially a lot of money uh, through a single administration. So that's what that, that's what attracted them. So both these groups came together. They both uh, wanted to proceed with consummating a, a contract or a binding term sheet to supply the country of Israel with vaccines, and and that occurred a couple of weeks ago. And and that and so that's that's a recent development. And then the fundraise is what I mentioned too. I think is another significant development. Yeah, the fact that Israel selected you must be quite a feather in your cap. I, I don't know if they also selected other companies, but that's certainly a nice check mark. Yeah, it was you know Benjamin Benjamin Netanyahu. He he had a a, a press conference in in Israel and had his. Uh, it's very similar to what we've experienced here in the U.S. with Donald Trump's task force and mm-hmm. Operation Warp Speed and. And so there, there's going to be a few of vaccines likely selected, and we're one of them. Uh, I, I do also think it's important for people to understand that they, they, they proceeded to sign this binding agreement with with Arcturus after they saw the clinical data of other vaccines. Interesting. So they, you know, they they're very attracted to the fact that our vaccine is is very simple. It is an mRNA vaccine. So that means it's devoid of any viruses. There's no viral vectors. There's no adjuvants. And because we do not have any of these ingredients or elements or to our vaccine, it, it makes it very simple, which makes it easier to understand and easier to evaluate for safety. So, so it's a very simple vaccine. And that's what um, they also liked. But since it's a self-replicating mRNA vaccine, it could be best in class or even best in field, mm. which brings up the concept. Like, uh, what we've noticed in all our conversations with these countries is that they all want the same thing, Jennifer. They want sure. safe and effective vaccines, and they, they want the first ones to, that are available, but they also want the best ones. Mm-hmm. And we're both. We're in this first group of vaccines, but we're also uh, looking like there's promising potential for us to be the best or one of the best vaccines as well. So when you couple those two elements together, it, ex- it helps explain why there's considerable interest and demand for the Arcturus vaccine. Nice. Yeah, that, that's really great. Well, I have a couple of questions. I see if I can remember the second one if I ask the first. Sure. So tell me a little bit about durability, because this is something that I think... There's just a lot of confusion out there. So explain yeah. about durability of a vaccine. Okay. Well, the durability of the vaccine is dependent upon how long do the antibodies last? Mm-hmm. All these vaccines are making antibodies. And this is called humoral immunity. So all the vaccines are out there are uh, making antibodies. And you need to make these antibodies in order to gain approval from regulatory agencies. So uh, if you don't make these antibodies, then you'll never be approved as a vaccine. So uh, all of them were going to be making these antibodies. So how long do the antibodies last is one question. And then the other question is on the cellular immunity side. Does the vaccine make or induce T cells, these special cells that also help with protecting the person? Okay. And, and T cells last a lot longer than antibodies do. Right. Okay. So, so, so when you're evaluating durability, you've got to look at how much and how long does the antibodies last for, but also how significant of a T cell number or induction do you see? 
and because those last very long as well. So Arcturus is a self-replicating mRNA uh, rather than a conventional messenger RNA. So oh. when this molecule, this messenger RNA molecule enters a cell, it prints off an antigen called the full-length spike protein. And this protein then produces, um, you know, the downstream effect of it is antibodies get generated. Now, conventional mRNA prints off uh, the full-length spike protein for a couple of days, but then the mRNA degrades. And so it necessitates a second shot. Self-replicating mRNA is different, and that's the Arcturus vaccine. When this molecule enters the cell, it prints off not only a full-length spike protein, but it also prints off an enzyme called an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. And, and what that science speak for, it enables the self-replicating aspect of the vaccine, which means instead of lasting for one or two days, like you see with other vaccines, it lasts for two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. It expresses this protein for an extended period of time. And that it means uh, not only a much lower dose, much less amount of the vaccines needed, but because it lasts longer, it means that the antibodies are generated over a period of time and the overall vaccine lasts longer from an antibody perspective. This is humoral immunity perspective. Now, what is exciting about the self-replicating mRNA vaccine, in addition to humoral immunity, is that it also activates or uh, plays a key role in adaptive immunity. This is cellular immunity. This is what I talked about with T-cell induction. Right. You want to see these T-cells. Now, T-cells are not required to get approval, but everybody wants to see them. Mm -hmm. If you can see T-cells, that's exciting because that means the vaccine can last a lot longer and it'll be more effective in larger percentages of people. Mm -hmm. So you'll have a more effective, longer lasting vaccine if you see the T-cells numbers go up as well. And what we've seen with the Arcturus vaccine is both humoral and cellular immunity uh, are impacted in our animal studies, <clears throat> nice, strong, and robust data. So if we can replicate the data that we've seen, we'll no doubt be one of the best, if not the best vaccine out there. And people want access to, like, like I said, the first vaccines and also the best vaccines. All right. You're, you are really helping me understand what's happening here. So I appreciate that. You're such a good explainer. I'm really I'm always happy to talk to you about these things. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask my second question that I, I was holding back on before. And it I guess it's an obvious question, but when we think about cost, because that's where I come from, when we think about cost, it does seem to me that having people come back for a second shot is not only potentially expensive because you waste your money on the first one if they don't come back for the second. So it does seem to me that the that the advantage of having a single dose instead of the double dose where people have to come back. It seems to me that that's pretty profound. Are you seeing that countries care that much about that? Are most of them yeah. like Israel where they get? Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, every single country understands the, the significant impact in savings if the single administration vaccine works. And, and to date, there isn't one vaccine yet that people are expecting to be a single administration vaccine. So uh, you can understand the, the countries, investors, the media is going to start paying close attention to our uh, trial here in Singapore 
to see if a single administration works. And if it does, we'll be the uh, one of a kind, we'll be the only single administration vaccine and there'll be considerable interest because it saves countries and taxpayers a ton of money mm-hmm. when you're administrating something once versus twice. It's not like it's two times more expensive. It's much, much more expensive. Uh, well, like I know people often uh, complain about the cost of drugs, mm-hmm. but if you compare it to the cost of healthcare, the cost of drugs is very diminutive. It's very tiny. Same case here with, with the vaccine. You know, people will often focus on the cost of the vaccine. They miss the point here that the significant costs associated with the vaccine is the distribution of it, the administration of it, the logistics of pulling all these people together to get the vaccine. That's way more expensive than the vaccine itself. Hmm. So if we can if we can make this a single administration, then then countries and taxpayers and the world in general benefit considerably from a financial perspective. Yeah, that that's a very good point. Okay, so let's talk about timeframes. When you talk about a vaccine lasting, like what should we have in our mind for what would be a typical time frame that a vaccine sure. would last? Yeah, the, what we're seeing right now is that uh, these these uh, antibodies that are being generated by the the initial vaccines in the clinic mm-hmm. are they, they appear to be lasting about three months to six months on the outset. So, you know, that's better than three days or three weeks, but it's not a very long time. So, you know, we're thinking that because ours is self-replicating messenger RNA, like I mentioned earlier, that the the antibodies are produced for an extended period of time that will extend that runway to maybe four or five to, to seven or eight months. Okay. But, but if you want to extend the time beyond that, you're going to need to see T-cell induction. And so mm-hmm. h- how long does that protect you for? Well, that's a, uh, there's no answers for that yet because the early vaccines haven't generated them yet. So we don't know how long that, that protection is going to last. But if you look at the closest cousin to COVID-19, now COVID-19's full name is SARS-CoV-2. That's what it's called mm-hmm. in the scientific literature. And the closest relative to SARS-CoV-2 is SARS-CoV-1. And SARS-CoV-1 is also known as SARS, and you might be familiar with that. SARS was a a problem 17 years ago in Asia, Mm -hmm. and the the human survivors of SARS still have T-cells to this day, 17 years later. So if we generate T cells, they could last not only a year, but it could last 17 years if it's anything like SARS-CoV-1. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. And it leads me into a whole bunch of other questions that I've had uh, rocketing around in my brain. We appear to have tests that tell us whether or not we have antibodies. So they would tell us whether or not we've had COVID-19. Are there tests to tell us whether or not we have T-cells? Yeah, it's kind of a neutralizing, um, there's neutralizing antibody assays, just to make sure we have our, that, that it's not just antibodies, but the right antibodies and the antibody titers. And, and we already have, and people are more familiar with that. With respect to T-cells, yes, they're, they're uh, you can also measure and determine if your T cell count has increased because of this vaccine. 
So the short answer is yes, we can, we can test for that. Okay. And so for the SARS victims, we're testing and we can tell that they still have T cells 17 years after they had the infection. And that's from the infection, right? They, none of those people ever had a vaccine. Yeah, exactly. So okay. they, they survived and the body ended up making antibodies and the body ended up making more T cells, but the antibodies go away, but the T cells do not. They stay around and protect these people from getting reinfected. Okay. So that's, I think that could be really helpful to our listeners. So some, you know, there are a lot of people out there, must be human nature who say, you know, I think I had COVID-19. I was sick in January. And, but if they go for a test, the test often will come back and say, nope, no antibodies for you. Now, is it possible that it's just the antibodies have faded and they still do have T cells and we're not testing for that or Absolutely, hundred percent. So, the, the antibodies could have been there and are no longer there. Is 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 very plausible. But the are they going to get COVID nineteen again? It's unlikely um, because not only is their antibodies maybe still there in, in some form, but the T cells could also be there to protect them. And typically, we're not testing for T cells for those people today, I presume. Not, not yet. Uh, we need to, as a scientific community, we need to learn more, know exactly what we're looking for and how to inexpensively measure it. It's really, uh, we'll say cheap to measure for antibody titers, but it's a little more costly to understand if uh, your T cells have been induced by the right T cells, et cetera. Okay. Yeah, that's really that's really helpful and, and very clarifying. Okay. So it sounds like replicating messenger RNA just sounds great. So tell us, are there other companies that are also pursuing that strategy or are more of them using the DNA or kind of what does the field look like? Yeah. Arcturus is the only self-replicating mRNA vaccine that uses our lunar technology as well. So we're kind of a one-of-a-kind vaccine. But with respect to self-replicating mRNA, the Imperial College of London, or there's an academic institution in the UK that has a self-replicating mRNA concept as well that they're evaluating in the clinic in, okay. in, Europe, in Europe. And then Pfizer is looking to advance a self-replicating mRNA into the clinic as well. Their first shot on goal is a conventional mRNA to directly compete with Moderna's conventional mRNA vaccine. Okay. But but Pfizer is looking to build in uh, a self-replicating mRNA vaccine as well, which is good to hear. So, uh, However, we're different from everybody out there because we have not only access to our self-replicating mRNA technology, but our delivery technology, which is very important. If, you know, earlier I was talking about the importance of T cells and cellular immunity. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to zing the body or, you know. <laughs> Technical in, in term. Order, yeah. In, in, order to, in order to tell them to do that, you need to get into a specific cell type called dendritic cells. Hmm. And our delivery technology not only gets into the muscle cells, you know, you can imagine what this, uh, the, the Arcturus. A shot is very similar to your flu shot experience where there's a 
a, a very tiny amount that's intramuscularly delivered. So it's injected into your muscle. And for those that have had the flu shot, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And so when you get it, the vaccine gets into the muscle cells, but it also gets into the dendritic cells. And the reason why this is important is because uh, if you get into dendritic cells, then you can induce a cellular response more effectively. Mm-hmm. And our delivery technology, this is this lipid-mediated nanoparticle, these cool little spheres that transport the vaccine to where it needs to go, right? It's mm. the delivery system. I think there's a video on your yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really cool. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that as the, yeah, we have a nice um, uh, video of, of the technology on our website and it show, shows how the, the nanoparticle delivery technology sticks to the cell and enters the cell through a process called transfection. And then it, breaks out of the endosome and releases the the payload, the vaccine, the self-replicating mRNA vaccine to do its job. Mm-hmm. But uh, our, our delivery technology has been optimized over several years for delivery into myocytes and dendritic cells. And if you don't deliver the vaccine to the right cells, it's not going to do, you're not going to see cellular immunity. Okay. So it's, it's this combination of the delivery technology with the self-replicating mRNA that gives us the, the strong, robust data that we're seeing preclinically in animals. Okay. And give us a sense of like, yeah, power or strength. Would you anticipate that the cellular immunity that you get from a vaccine is going to be as strong as that which has been experienced by somebody who actually had the disease, who had the virus? How did the, how, yeah. was, how would you think this might compare? I know I'm asking you to speculate, no, but just to no, this kind is, of understand no, how this works. I, I love these sorts of questions because it gives me an opportunity to educate folks about what all these vaccine companies are doing. Yes, so every single, every single vaccine company, every single one of them, every single vaccine technology is attempting to do the exact same thing. We are all in the business of mimicking the COVID-19 virus. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. So people go, oh, okay, so I'm mimicking the COVID-19 virus itself. So let's talk about what is the COVID-19 virus? It is a lipid nanoparticle that contains a self-replicating messenger RNA molecule. That's what it is. Oh. The Arcturus vaccine is a lipid nanoparticle that contains a self-replicating mRNA. And the reason why it's beautifully, so it's a beautiful mimic of the COVID-19. Now, the COVID-19 virus, when that messenger RNA molecule goes into a cell, it makes a whole bunch of other viruses that cause the baby to say goodbye. (laughs) Ours is, is beautifully and safely, it can't be more perfectly designed to just, all it does is print off the spike protein, the little spikes of the virus, and that's it. So it's Uh it's perfectly safe, yet it's perfectly mimicking the the, the virus itself. So when you're trying to protect somebody, all you're doing is fooling the body that it's getting infected by the COVID-19 virus. Mm -hmm. So that is why in a high level perspective, that is why the Arcturus vaccine, I believe, is the most exciting because it is the most accurate mimic mm-hmm. of the COVID 
virus itself without any concerns about safety. So what, what did they do 100 years ago to mimic it? Well, they would just kill the virus and inject it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an amazing mimic, right? The body sees this dead virus. It looks like it looks like the virus, smells like the virus. So it's, <clears throat> it's very immunogenic and it works really, really well. That's the best vaccine. It, it always works well, but it's not safe. Mm. When you're injecting mass populations with dead viruses, uh, th- there's issues with that. And so what we've done is ours is man-made. We have a man-made nanoparticle and it's all, and so the body doesn't recognize it. There's no undesired immune responses pertaining to the nanoparticle. The only immune response you want is to that full-length spike protein that we're making. So by design, the antibodies that we create are specifically, very specifically targeted that virus and that's it. So it's very, there's no undesired immunity. You don't want a bunch of antibodies for a bunch of other things because you don't know what those antibodies are going to do. And I presume it could also make you sick. It could also make you feel bad. Oh, yeah. Like I'm, it's, it's all about getting the, the right immunity, that you, the desired immunity that you want to protect you specifically for that specific virus and nothing else. Mm-hmm. If you if you see other types of then then you can get sick. Yeah, you can have extended headaches or or fevers for a while, and um, and you have to deal with the other undesirables. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you make of these stories that are floating around that people seem to be getting infected with COVID nineteen twice? Oh uh, well, my, my personal view is is that. When you're evaluating a lot of people and there's a lot of tests and there's a lot of data being generated, none of these tests are perfect. So just from a pure numbers perspective, if one out of a hundred tests are falsely portrayed, that means one out of a hundred people think they're being reinfected, but they haven't been. So my, my, my personal view is that once they've had it, that they're protected, that they shouldn't be concerned. But could I be wrong? Absolutely. Um, but that's my, you asked my, my view, my opinion mm-hmm. is that for, for people that have got it and survived it, especially if they really got it. Okay. Th- there's another question there where, what if they kind of got it? Yeah. Like they asymptomatically got it. Like they, they just had a blip of it and it went away. Um, mm-hmm. or is that a different subgroup? But the, the group I'm talking about is if you've had it, and you, you know, you really had it for a few weeks. You got really sick, and or you even went to the hospital and got put on a ventilator, and you survived. You're protected. You're not going to go through that again. I have a stronger opinion there. Okay. But uh, you know, I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. uh, that's my opinion. Yeah, I'll just make a comment here. I listened to the UCSF Grand Rounds from a couple of days ago. I didn't realize those were available publicly and they're actually quite fascinating. It's 90 minutes long, so it's not a it's not a 5-minute read or anything like that. But they kind of had an overview session about tests, uh, treatments and vaccines. And that section on tests was really unbelievable. The number of different kinds of tests that are available. I mean, they're in the hundreds. And just the variety of ways that people are attacking this problem of, of detection, yeah. it, I was really amazed. And so the poor public in all this, you know, trying to sort this out is so 
I just think it's a real challenge for them. No, it is. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but it'll, time will move on and, and the community will get smarter. We'll figure out which of these tests are the best, the most efficient, the, the least costly. And likewise, they'll do the same for vaccines. And, you know, several will contribute to this, this pandemic. And then uh, a few will continue on after the pandemic and the endemic phase, like I talked earlier. Mm-hmm. All right. So you talked about, which just sounds like nirvana, right? That we could get vaccinated and maybe then we'd be protected for an extended period of time, you know, 10 years, 20 years, uh, something like that. If we don't achieve that, do you think that a fallback position might be something like we would have an annual shot like we do for the flu shot? Yeah. In fact, that's my present expectation. I think, okay. I, you know, I think that, that in general, people are going to want to get an annual shot and they'll do it at the same time as the flu shot. They'll probably get the flu shot in the left arm and the COVID shot in the right arm. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, until these are completely eradicated, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't change their lifestyle at all to get two shots on the same day versus one. And, and we recently added the lunar flu program. That's new since we talked. Oh, what's that? So, so uh, it's uh, a self-replicating mRNA vaccine for the flu. Right now, the flu vaccine only lasts a few months, and that's why you have to go in every year. Mm-hmm. And the efficacy rate is actually quite low. Um, that's something that's even shocking to some people that yeah. the flu the flu vaccine can be you know twenty to fifty percent effective. Yeah, if we could get that efficacy number up, like that percentage number of of efficacy and also extend the duration of it, then we could really take care of the flu too from a herd immunity perspective. And then just everyone will take the annual shot of flu and COVID is where I think we're going to ultimately be. Uh, However, there's an outside chance that um, COVID-19 could be a one shot and done. Mm -hmm. uh, And that would be great as well. The flu, that's not going to be the case. Flu is mutating constantly throughout the globe. Uh, and so is COVID nineteen, but but not like the flu. So so if the if the flu is mutating regularly, that's likely going to continue to be a, an annual flu shot. Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit in the first episode. Can you tell us? I know it's hard to talk to lay people about this. Can you explain why the seasonal influenza mutates so much, and you don't expect COVID nineteen to do the same? Well. Um, Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> like, I hate to say it. It, 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 it just <laughs> is. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, it, it's just like the parent going, that's just, it is what it is. Just uh-huh, deal with okay. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because, no, don't ask me any more questions. No, <laughs> right. Uh, no, the, the, yeah, the flu, the flu is just rapidly changing, rapidly. It's impacted by humidity and heat and, it's a global disease and it's constantly iterating. And so what the community does is it takes the top three or four strains and then they create a, a vaccine for those three or four, but there's many more strains than that. And then the vaccine approach that they use is not a self-replicating mRNA. It's not even an mRNA vaccine, although those are getting developed as well. I so see. by the time we get there with our flu, our flu vaccine and our COVID-19, I, 
I, I think we can definitely advance the field considerably. We, we'd even consider it disruptive technology. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, giving giving everyone a nice robust flu shot in addition to a COVID shot could have a, a significant impact on both of these pathogens. You know, in terms of public education and public acceptance and awareness, I actually think that your strategy of working on the flu vaccine makes a lot of sense because the the lack of efficacy for that flu vaccine kind of turns people off. And I think then combined with a lot of hocus pocus out there about the safety of vaccines, it just gives people kind of a skeptical view of vaccines. And I'd love to see us kind of return to the attitude we had decades ago where vaccines were, you know, really embraced, right. And considered yeah. a huge step forward in, in technology and public health. I don't know if you have any thoughts. No, it, it, it's true. Well, the older vaccines, like the, the polio vaccine works in 95, 99% of the people mm-hmm. and it works for a very long time. Yeah. And so people set the bar real high. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Well, that's what I expect. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, how come every vaccine doesn't do the same? Well, it's because it's different. <laughs> uh, you know, people just, yeah, think every every virus is alike and they're completely, completely astronomically different. I see. So so you you they 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 try to lean on their own experience, but now the flu is is a pesky. Mm-hmm. little guy mm-hmm. and, and it's always mutating always changing and, and uh we're trying to have a nimble technology to keep up with it but with uh the like i, I keep going back to the self-replicating mrna but if it, if it works this will be disruptive it'll be far more effective and longer lasting and if we can induce t-cells with this technology that's really disruptive because there's so many pathogens that there are no vaccines because the present vaccine technology produces antibodies that last for days instead of months or years. So, so the only way to protect against certain pathogens is with a, the a T cell induction or cellular immunity. So if ours works, that would not only mean great things for the flu and COVID, but likely, you know, exciting vaccines for really nasty pathogens that there's just not a lot of options for yeah. from a vaccine perspective. No, it really sounds exciting. I'm going to ask another question here that's probably difficult just because it's so naive. I'm kind of surprised to hear that the regulatory agencies aren't looking at T-cells. Is that just history that they've not done that? Or, or maybe I don't have no, that right. No, they, uh, everybody cares. Everybody wants to see it. But in order to gain approval to inject people, it needs to be safe. Mm-hmm. And it needs to show antibodies. That's it. That's the minimum. That's the bar. I see. But but everybody tracks it. Everybody wants to see it. Absolutely. Whether it's a foundation, um, like the Sabin Foundation or the Gates Foundation, or or whether it's a country like the Israeli Ministry of Health, or whether it's the government of the United States or or the FDA, mm-hmm. everybody wants to see the T cell induction. But it's not necessary to gain approval. Is what I'm trying to communicate. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. I guess what I worry about, though, is that some vaccines that are kind of just mediocre might become the standard and others might fall by the wayside. I guess I'm really asking about how regulatory processes work here. Is is that something you worry about or is that something I shouldn't think about? 
Well, you're, what you're asking is a commercial question too. Is it, is, is it true that sometimes the better drugs or the better vaccines do not get funded or the right marketing or the right commercial opportunity? I, I would, unfortunately, that is true. Um, just like how some kids get into college because of who they know instead of what they know. Yeah. Uh, right. So mm-hmm. sometimes the best, smartest kids don't get into those best, smartest schools. There's politics in every aspect of our life, including in in uh, vaccines and therapeutics. So sometimes, sometimes there's 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 more to a successful drug than it actually working. You do need to be sure to have a, a method of distribution and a method to commercialize and, and the right funding to launch it. To get a third analogy is movies. You know, sometimes there's amazingly good movies that just don't have the right producers behind it. So very few people see it, but to those that do see the movie are really entertained, mm-hmm. but, but they just don't have the same connections and politics. So Arcturus uh, doesn't have to worry about that because we are, we're a relatively small company. We're a billion dollar company, but we're not a hundred billion dollar company. So we're, we're this, one of the smaller companies on the block, but we are partnered with very large companies. We have a partnership with J&J for another program that's not a vaccine. And we have a partnership with the number one Japanese pharma company, Takeda, for another oh, yeah. Another drug. So we have big partners. So we've got great good friends is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And we and we also have uh, just generous support from Wall Street, like we've raised $280 million so far this year. And, and, and that's a substantial amount of money to get a lot done. And yes, it's not $2 billion, but it's 280. And that's, that's a significant amount of money. So we'll, we'll we'll be able to make an impact on this pandemic is what I'm getting at. We're not concerned, and and for our size, it's an exciting impact. The fact that we're in the same conversations now as uh, Moderna and Pfizer is very complimentary to Arcturus being the smallest kid on the block. We're just fortunate to be one of the the players, and and we're just a group of scientists that are excited about our discovery and our vaccine, and and we're excited that people are interested in what we're, what we're doing. And we just want to help as many people as possible is the other way to say it. That's, you know, whoever gives us the opportunity will, will be more than happy to help. No, I really think it's very exciting. And also, you know, it's one of the things I've always loved about biotechnology is that sometimes small companies with being a bit more nimble and uh, just having a lot of smarts in a certain particular area can really stand out. So I, I just I wish you the best. I think it's very exciting. And I was going to say yeah, that surely the $280 million won't hurt in, in helping to uh, get people to recognize the, the drug and, and take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, we have enough to make a lot of the vaccines. Our dose is small, so... Uh, our manufacturing runs are very impactful. We can, for every every uh, manufacturing campaign, is millions and millions of people, and we can do these every few weeks. So, so we're 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 definitely going to make an impact. At least that's my expectation. We can't promise that, but but uh, we're anxiously engaged and cautiously excited to see this first phase one slash two data out of Singapore. Uh, and assuming that's successful, then we'll be well positioned to distribute the vaccine to the countries that 
sign supply agreements with us and and we just look forward to that opportunity. It's going yeah. to be a fun, fun few weeks and months. Yeah, I think so too. Joe, I know I have to let you go. And uh, before I do, I wonder if there's anything you'd like to share with the listeners, how they can follow Arcturus's work or anything else that you'd like uh, for them to be focused on. Sure. Well, they can definitely go to our website to learn more. And that's uh, ArcturusRx.com. So A-R-C-T-U-R-U-S-R-X.com. And there's uh, videos and, and a, a corporate deck that you can, that's regularly updated. Uh, with respect to the the country, wherever the listeners reside, we are, you can understand we're speaking to many different countries. And it's often helpful for those to, uh, if they if they believe their representation should consider Arcturus, that's great. We are talking to government agencies here in the United States, as you can appreciate, okay. and also uh, abroad. So those conversations continue to progress. So if if anybody wants to voice their opinion that good to know that uh, Arcturus should be considered. But wherever they live, wherever this listener is listening, then okay. um, yeah, those little things can help as well. But uh, that that's it. I, I think you've uh, done a great job with the interview and asked all the right questions. So I have nothing more to say at this time. Jennifer, I just appreciate the opportunity to, to share the, the technology and the story behind Arcturus with you and your listeners. And as always, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.